0: Welcome to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. It's
1: St. Patrick's Day, and I've got my green pants on. And here in The Fabulous 413, that means people will be focusing on the Holyoke St. Patrick's Day parade this Sunday, of course, and... Lots of Irish music at venues all around Western Massachusetts.
0: Plus, lots of people pretending to be Irish and deciding to use today as an excuse to drink. But Irish culture is about a whole lot more than pub culture and music. We are going to touch on both of those things today, and we'll also get a language, a lesson in the Irish language. But joining us in this clown car of a studio
1: right now is (laughs) Rosemary Kane and Wild Irish Shenanigans who are performing at the Unitarian Society in Northampton on Main Street tonight at 7.30 and also tomorrow at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield at 2 p.m. And they're going to play us a song to start. That's Rosie Kane and Wild Irish Shenanigans performing tonight in Northampton and tomorrow at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield. We're going to hear more songs for them throughout the duration of the show, and we are also going to hear about the connection that Rosemary Kane has with some of our first guests.
0: So, Elms College in Chicopee hosts one of the only 10 Irish Fulbright scholars in the country and has for the past 10 years, Irish classes are taught at Elms, including evening classes for adult learners. The
1: Irish language coordinator for the program, which is jointly run by the Irish Cultural Center and Elms is Gerald Costello. He also teaches Irish classes for evening students and the current Fulbright is we have been saying Emmer Maguire from the country of Louth. Okay? (laughs) And county, now. County, we,
0: not country. Right, Iberland county, is right. The country. Co- county
1: of Louth. <laughs> but I know that we're mispronouncing all this. So please introduce yourself and your town correctly.
2: Yes. So my name is Emer McGuire, Emer. and I'm from County Louth. So you're very, very close. County <laughs> yes, Louth. Okay. County Loud. And it's Emer. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, is McGuire how you really say that That's name?
2: That's it. Yeah. You have that dead right. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good.
0: Good, because we had questions.
1: (laughs) We had questions. For sure. So now, I think a lot of people, when they think of the Irish language, they say Gaelic. But Mm -hmm. is there debate amongst the Irish-speaking community whether to call it Gaelic, whether to call it Irish?
2: Yeah, so we would call it Irish ourselves. Gaelic is more like an umbrella term for like Scots Gaelic and the language we I speak too. To so, yeah. yeah, so people tell me, oh, you speak Gaelic and it takes me a minute. It's like, no, I speak Irish, but same thing. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so is the Irish language mm-hmm. part of the umbrella of Gaelic vastly different than the other Gaelic languages?
2: It's similar enough. So the Irish or the Gaelic they speak in Scotland, there's lots of crossovers. So if you could speak Irish, you'd be able to pick up the odd words in In Scots Scots. Gaelic too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really cool how similar they are because we're so close. Like we're literally only over the water, (laughs) you know.
0: Are there other languages, like I'm thinking of like northern France, other places that have bits of Gaelic, at least in their history, where you can hear bits of that in, in their language too?
2: Yeah, there is a few other ones. I think there is a language called Manx on the Isle of Man. I think that one crosses over, but I've never heard that one, so I don't <laughs> quote me on that <laughs> now, just in case.
0: Uh-huh. Fair enough, fair enough.
1: And so uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Fulbright program, what is all, what is that all about? And what does it mean that you're one of the ten Irish Fulbright scholars in the United States?
2: Yeah, so it's this big cultural exchange that was set up, I think, after World War Two to kind of get people to learn about other countries. So there's about 100 to 200 Fulbrights in America at the moment all teaching their own native language. So Russia, Ukraine, Spain, France, all of the countries. Um, But to be honest, it's great to have 10 of us from Ireland because we are so tiny as a country, you know. And Irish is often seen as a minority language. So to have all of us teach in Irish and not just the language, we kind of teach the culture, the dance and the music, the song. As much as we can bring in of Ireland to America, we do that too.
1: Is Irish one of the languages that the English tried to eradicate?
2: Um, yes, would yes. be the short answer to that. <laughs> yeah, like it could be, it could be dead. You know, like so many things were done in the past to get people to stop talking, and immigration didn't help that when people went to America and England. But I suppose the fact it's still alive, the fact that we're teaching in America shows it didn't work. They didn't succeed because um, it is a minority language, and it can often be seen as an endangered language. But programs like this make it alive you know it makes it even to see people who have no Irish connection trying to learn the language is mind blowing but it's great to see for a very small country and a small language too Mm -hmm. So
1: did you grow up speaking Irish?
2: No not at all so I don't even come from an Irish speaking part of Ireland and my parents they would have done it at school but none of them have Irish at home, so we're an English-speaking household. Actually, I think out of the 10 of us in in America at the moment, nine of us are from English-speaking towns and families. So I would have learned it at school, like everyone in Ireland has to learn it as a as a subject. And then I suppose I had a particular interest, so I kept learning it. And I'm a, like an elementary school teacher in Ireland, so I teach it too. So I'm kind of in this world of Irish in a way.
0: But the movement to bring Irish as a required course mm-hmm. in school was part of the conservation
2: effort, right? When did that happen? It happened, I suppose, when we became a republic, so in the 30s, the 1930s. And I suppose the goal is to make Ireland an Irish-speaking country. That might not come to pass, but it is at least a second language for most people. And there's definitely a big revival among young people in Ireland who haven't come from Irish-speaking homes, but they're kind of thinking, this is our language, let's take a bit of ownership of it. And they're kind of going out of their way to learn more of it, to promote it. And social media is brilliant. Like The amount of people on Instagram and TikTok using Irish is unbelievable for a small country and for people who are learning Irish as a second language too.
1: That's Emer Maguire, as we're now saying correctly, or <laughs> at least more co- more correctly.
0: It took us a little bit it of time. It took us a while. <laughs> yeah,
1: From Elms College, who's a Fulbright Scholar teaching Irish. They're also teaching Irish at Elms College is Ger- uh, Gerald Costello. Tell me how you came to the Irish language to be uh, teaching it here at Elms.
3: Well, actually, I, I took a class at the Elms as a non-credit class and got very interested in it. But it was much later on in my life when I started learning it. And I learned that there were many other people who had a similar interest. Most of us had a connection, particularly in this area in Springfield, to Kerry mm-hmm. And specifically with Springfield to the Dingle Peninsula. So a lot of people from the Blasket Islands, for example, emigrated to this area and they use the language all the time. And you can still hear it occasionally uh, from some of the people that are in our area. Uh, my grandparents were from Kalorglan on the other peninsula, and, um, and I, ju- I just have a huge fascination with it. It was just so crazy to me to look at the language itself and to see all these consonants colliding with one another and it's like how in the world do you pronounce this stuff you know so you just took you know one step at a time and you just started learning it from some of the people that were teaching it in our area which was great
1: Well i feel less intimidated by trying to take a small Irish lesson from you Gerald because your <laughs> your accent is more like my accent <laughs> than uh, my accent is like Emers so what's a what's a good introductory uh, thing that we could learn about from the Irish language first from you and then we'll
3: we'll graduate to the uh, the 200 level with Emer. <laughs> okay, all right, very good. So why don't we just say hello? So, okay. so, Diagwit.
0: Diagwit. 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 Mm. Very nice.
3: Diagwit. Okay, and the answer to that, the hello from the other person would say, Diagwit. 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 Very good. I like it. Diagwit,
1: <laughs> how long I'll remember that. Is debatable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. So how long have you been studying this?
3: Well I started probably what's well, been more than 15 years at this point. It's probably uh-huh. approaching 20 years at this point. But I was you know I was working at a large company here and I, I traveled a lot. So during the evenings I was thinking to myself since I'm in a hotel I'm staying here I'd like to use my time a little more productively. <laughs> so I started thinking how can I learn this language? And I found out about the non-credit classes at the Elms and uh, took one of them. And then I heard this lecture that was given at the Elms as well by a priest who came over from Ballyferreter in the Dingle Peninsula. And he was talking about Celtic spirituality. And Mm -hmm. he had all these terms and things that were, you know, oscalga. And it was like, it was fabulous. And that's what prompted me to really, you know, start studying it seriously. And so I took two years you know, at the Elms at the evening, uh, in terms of uh, non-credit classes. Then I just started attending workshops and things that are in the area. You can go down to Boston, you can go to New York, you can go anywhere. There
1: was a workshop last night, right?
3: Uh, we had a pop-up Gael talk last mm-hmm. night at the Cultural Center, uh-huh. which was great. It was an opportunity for people who have some Irish <clears throat> to, to speak. And so we were all speaking with one another. There were people who came from Amherst and there were some other people who were taking the classes here locally. So we all had a nice, nice opportunity just to chat. And is,
1: is Elms really the only place locally that you can study the Irish language like this?
3: Well, there's some other places, like up in Amherst, uh, uh, there's some people who are extremely good speakers up there um, that are part of the Amherst Irish Association, and they do some lessons like privately. But um, that's another good source of um, education for people who want to learn. And they put a real emphasis on CORA, on, on conversation. That's As how you say conversation? <laughs> yes. CORA. Cora. There you go. Uh, I forgot how to say hello already. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me again.
0: <laughs>
3: so dirret. Dirret.
1: Dirret.
0: And then Desmarais. <laughs> yeah, she knows more languages than
1: I do. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take our first break here in the fabulous four one three, and we'll be coming up uh, talking more with Gerald Costello and Emer Maguire, who teach Irish at Elms. We'll hear more from Rosemary Kane and Wild Irish Shenanigans, and we'll taste some Irish whiskey with my buddy Sean Barry towards the end of the show.
0: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM.
1: Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Balmonte. And I'm Cleese Smith. We are joined with all sorts of Irish shenanigans in this tiny little studio here on St. Patrick's Day. We'll talk more about the Irish language with folks from Elms College in a minute here. But once again, in the studio performing live, they will be tonight, 730, at the Unitarian Society of Northampton in Florence on Main Street. And tomorrow at Hox and Reed in Greenfield, it's Rosemary Kane and Wild Irish shenanigans.
4: Dr. On a boring green and a sweet collie and she smiled as she passed me by. She looked so neat from her two white feet to the sheen of her nut brown Such a coaxing elf, I had to shake myself to make sure I was really there. From Bantry Bay up to dairy Bay, and from Galway
5: to Bucklington, no maid I've seen the like brown collie that I met in the
4: county down Onward sped, I shook me head and I gazed with a feeling queer And I said, says I, to a passerby, who's the maid with the
5: no-round
4: hair. Oh, he smiled at me and with pride, says he, that's the gem of Ireland's round. She's the rose in the camp, the banks of the van, she's the star of the
5: can-to-day From Bantry Bay up to Derry Cay, and from Gordy to Dublin Town oh, All day I've seen like a grand holly that I met in the town
4: should be surely done.
1: and The Wild Irish Shenanigans, who are playing this evening at 7 30 in Northampton and tomorrow afternoon in Greenfield. And joining us from the same county that Rosemary Kane is from is Emer McGuire from the county of Louth. 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 Yeah,
2: that's it. So, not everybody from some... Louth knows <laughs> each other, but Rosemary,
1: you were very excited when you heard that Emer was going to be here because you knew that she was from the same county.
4: I was beside myself. <laughs> To tell you the truth, to tell you nothing but the truth, not alone the same county, but the same town, RD, County Louth. RD. RD. I think there's only two people who've emigrated from RD, and that's myself and Eva. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Here you go, small and you, words. And you
1: all know each other. It's what, it, what comes
4: we down don't to, yeah, actually, yeah. but yeah. now we
1: do. <laughs> we, we do God.
2: now. Yeah. yeah. I remember getting the email from Rosie about half 11, eleven, eleven thirty at night to say that she was from ID, and I really wanted to ring Mum and Dad to tell them, but <laughs> it was like three in the morning at home, so I had to wait till the next day. But yeah.
1: Tell me about your town and what people, uh, what what you remember about it when you left in the 1970s,
4: right, Rosie? Yes, I left in the 1970s. Well, it was a small market town, and on Tuesdays, you know, they came in with the cattle, and there was a lot of scat on the streets. Do you remember thank that? You, thank you for I censoring could, yourself. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, I, you'd see farmers and there were luck pennies that were, you know, crossing palms. And we had a couple of famous people. We had a famous footballer, Dermot O'Brien. He also was an incredible accordion player. Wow. And he told great stories in the RD accent, which is a very specific accent. And I believe it comes from the French Huguenots. Ah, how you all doing there? How you all doing there? Now, you hear your father's a doctor. Is he in at the moment? Because Jimmy here is horrid sick. He's got a horrid cold. Isn't that right, That's it, exactly, Jimmy T. Yeah, player player.
1: And now, what's the town like? You've only been here for how long?
2: Um, I came at the end of August. Uh-huh. So, um, It's much, well it's a bit different, like we're more modern than we were, but it's still a real farming town. My dad is a farmer too, but even talking about the the cattle in the streets, it's a big wide street as well. We've about 5,000 people I think, so a bit bigger of a population, but it's a small town. Everybody pretty much knows everybody else, but it's nice, it's a lovely place.
4: And did you grow up speaking any Irish, Rosemary? You know, as Emer described our town, it was not an Irish speaking Mm. town at all. But I went off to Ranafast when I was 14 years old. Um, in Donegal and there were pockets of the Gaeilthacht in those parts of Donegal and all around the coast of Ireland. And um, you could stay as long as you didn't speak English. And if the <laughs> ban on P, who was the woman of the house, heard you speak, you could be just turfed off on a bus and sent home. Uh-huh. But mm-hmm. we none of us were. And there was Irish dancing. And But at that time, Irish was compulsory to pass the Leaving Certificate and to graduate and matriculate to go to college. And so the compulsory aspect of it, I think, did an awful lot to damage huh. the love of it. Whereas today, it's not compulsory. And it has caught fire among the young. And more recently, Paul Meskell, the famous mm-hmm. Paul Meskell from Normal People, when he was accepting his BAFTA award, spoke in Irish. And, and there were great kudos for him all over the place, the Irish Times. Everybody was in love with Paul Meskell and people were <laughs> running off to take <laughs> Irish yeah. courses. Yeah.
0: So is it true that there are still like, not that many pockets or, or counties where Irish is a primary language?
4: I think Eimear can speak to that because they may be growing yeah. since my time.
2: There are a lot of Gael talk, official Gael talks, where they speak Irish, around, like the West Coast, the North, the South, the country. They're probably not as big as they might have been, but I think there's more growth in urban speakers. You know, people who have learned as a second language, like I was saying earlier, I think that's going to be the thing that helps Irish more than maybe the ones who are reared with it. The ones who have learned are taking that extra step to keep keep it going. So it's
0: also interesting because like earlier in the week, we were talking with uh, a couple of linguists, mm-hmm. you know, like you do, and um, talking about how English is a, American English has evolved. Do you feel like Irish because it's because of its revitalization and because so many young people are interested in it is evolving in kind of a similar way? Like, do you do you feel like it's it's keeping up with the modern folks that want to learn it.
2: I think so. Like every time we need new words, you just come up with new words as such. And I think because a lot of people are learning it as a second language, they don't mind throwing the odd English word into it too. Whereas back in the day, people wanted like strict Irish, no English, not allowed to speak English. Whereas now it's grand if you throw in the odd word here and there, like it happens in every language. I think as long as you make an effort and you try your best, it doesn't matter because it will keep it going if we just use what we have.
0: So what's a good example of something modern that's come into Irish?
2: Oh, let me see. Um, your Zoom is one oh, okay. And we just All we did with that Was we did a Z A U with a little accent And an M So we made it into our own With our own spelling But it still says Zoom So there you go Read COVID word <laughs> Nice
1: Nice We're speaking with Emer Maguire, Who's the Fulbright Scholar Emer Emer, <laughs> E-mer. Dang it, it I can't like, even remember so I close. can't remember how to say E-mer.
5: hello
1: Or how to say your name I knew I was going to butcher this Emer Maguire. Uh, oh. who is the Fulbright Scholar at Elms College, and Gerald Costello, whose name I have managed to not butcher <laughs> at all, except for when we were in the hallway there, and I called him Gerard or something like that. Uh, and Gerald, you are um, not from Ireland originally, but you're also teaching Irish at at Elms College, and you taught us how to say hello, which I've already forgotten. Let's learn something else from you in
3: 101 I'll, Irish.
0: I will learn it, and yeah. you will forget <laughs> I, I immediately will forget after it, right? saying yes. it. I'm like a
1: goldfish.
3: Okay. <laughs> so let's say, um, how are you? Okay. So, conestantu. Conestantu? Conestantu. conestantu. conestantu? Very good. Very good.
1: I'm making a memory palace of it. <laughs> I won't <laughs> tell you what images I'm using in my brain to remember it, but I'm put it in the script. Yeah, you can write it down in, in, the, in, in our, in our, like, our running order here. here. Um, I hate to put you both kind of on the spot here with this, but if, like, talk about the situation of driving into Springfield and finding parking and coming into the studio, but do it in Irish.
3: Well, fick mesu is emer egg kolosdanelavon bidar urikleg I guess uh for on my phone poker, I guess emer egg eglorigna trorika, I guess we may degval the emer. I guess the air a phone.
2: And then via my Aaron Schroed, and via my Iraq to an Fargniv Shoa Amshu, and Shin she in Honokmar Ban next like shoe, and via let Rosie Aaron Schroed, and via she cash there in a car round Fargniv, and via she Aaron she Jiralin an, <laughs> an, an Fargniv uh, an Amshu, and then Thomas an Shoa We're here with you now. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: we're thankful for
1: it. Yes,
4: Rosie, had something you wanted to add to that? Well, there's the translation is I'm I've parked my car. And I'm looking around, and honestly, I need a GPS in my own house. And I say, two people standing on the corner. And I said, excuse me, would you by any chance know where the NPR station is? (laughs) 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 Emer and her Irish-speaking companion, I was asking them the way to the station. Emer from RD, of course, directed (laughs) me right away. So
1: did you recognize her act when she spoke to you with an accent? Did you assume that she was here for the same reason you were? Yeah,
2: I had an idea because I heard the Irish accent still going strong so I knew it was Rosie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> did you understand any of that, Rosie, in the I Irish did. language? Mm-hmm. I did, yes. So you know I enough did. of it that you can I listen and, and I know it.
4: enough but yeah. of course now I'm all pumped up with fervour. <laughs> 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 I'm going back to the Quail talk, immediately. I'm booking myself into Rana for three weeks in the summer. <laughs> well, we're
1: going to talk about how you're going to be going to Ireland uh, with some excellent music um, shortly there. Another thing that I'm curious about, um, Emer or Gerald, either one, um, the the written, it's going to be hard to do on radio, but when you see the Irish language written... Not
0: when it, you see our social media posts. Yeah, you'll be able to see <laughs> it on our Google social Translate. media posts,
1: yes. Um, the characters are somewhat different. How many letters are in the alphabet? Um, what are the different markings, some of the different markings mean?
2: Yeah, I'm so... We're, at the moment, we use the Roman script as well. Now, there is an old Irish script. That's something I never learned. So when I went to school, we had already used the... Oh, Rose, you would have done that one. Yeah, and it's a lo- it looks script. lovely. Mm-hmm. It's so pretty. Um, we use the Roman alphabet. We only have 18 out of the 26 letters that you would use in English.
1: Which ones don't you have?
2: So the kind of funky ones. So J, K, uh, W, X, Y, and Z. And that's it. That's six, I think. Yeah, yeah. so the funky ones we don't use. Other (laughs) than that, we use the same letters, but obviously in different ways. So, Mm -hmm. like, we do put consonants together. Like, the BH together makes a V sound, or, like, the DH might make a G sound. And then we have, either way, French would have little accents. We have those two, but we call them fathers. So they go on the vowels, and they make the vowel a longer sound. But So it looks a bit different, but a bit the same.
1: And you call them fathers?
2: Fa- Fadas. Fadas. F A D A. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. fathers, no.
1: <laughs> We're speaking with Emer Maguire. <laughs> who's the oh, you got that. I got it. Albright Scholar. Teaching the Irish language at Elms College, along with Gerald Costello, who's teaching that language at Elms College uh, as well at the nighttime. And the the classes are, are are they rotating? Are they open at
3: any time? Do you have to enroll at the beginning of a semester? How does it work? Yeah, you enroll at the beginning of a semester. So we start in September uh, for that term, and then the other one starts in January. And uh, right now we've got probably a total of about 25 people taking the classes. Uh, So Emer's doing uh, the group on Wednesday night, and then I do the the lower level classes. And there's another lady, Kathleen Gilhooley, who's also teaching some of the classes. So, uh, yeah, it's been great. There's a lot of enthusiasm in our area, and as I said earlier, just just a huge connection between our area and, like, West Cary, which is in the, the Gale-tucked area, where they would be using mm-hmm. uh, Gaelic uh, uh, very often.
0: And and again, there's a night where you can come and just like whatever level you're at, just be in conversation with other people who are also working on their Irish as well.
3: Right. I mean, right now what we're doing uh, in the beginning classes is we're looking, we're working on some of the grammatical principles and stuff like that just to get a foundation down. But then we try (laughs) to put a focus on conversation because that's really what people want to be able to do, to be able to use it. Not to be able to be masters of you know grammar, you know it's not, it's nice. you need it, but you want to spend your time talking to people. and that's what we try to promote.
1: It is St. Patrick's Day, and it is celebrated all across the United States of America in very particular and, and sometimes strange and unusual ways. Um, Emer from County Louth. What is St. Patrick's Day like while you are there in Ireland?
2: Yeah, so as we said, it's a small little town as such. Um, big highlight for us is we have a concert band in RD and they always play at Mass. So we always go to Mass. It's the biggest event ever because the whole band is there. Then we have our parade. Now, the parade is probably nothing like what you see here. Yeah. As I said, small town. So the band leads it off, which is probably the highlight. And because it's still quite a an agricultural town, we have lots of tractors, but they get all shined up for the day with the flags and everything. So mostly our parade is the band and all the tractors in a big long line. <laughs> but they throw sweets and candy out the window. So the kids are delighted. <laughs> I love yeah.
5: that.
0: And you only got here in August, so you've never seen the, the Holyoke Parade. <laughs> no. and
2: oh, the, yeah. Are you going? I'm in, it. I'm in the parade. you in I'm the in parade. It, oh. yeah, yeah, it so is long. Yeah. I've heard. It I'm told long. to wear good shoes and to wrap up really warm. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually,
0: this weekend it's supposed to be pretty warm, yeah. so okay. you should probably be okay. But good. yes, you're in it for the long haul in Godspeed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You'll, see, uh,
1: You'll see. It's a great parade. It's the second biggest parade, uh, St. Patrick's Parade in the country, I believe. Rosemary Kane, also from County Louth, who left in the 1970s. What was your recollection of St. Patrick's Day in Ireland then versus what you've experienced now for, the better, for over 40 years here with the <laughs> U- U.S. St. Patrick's Day.
4: Well, I don't know whether um, Emer would know a landmark called Rose Field. Rose Field was beyond our house. You Actually, Emer knows where I grew up, the house I grew up in. So <laughs> it's th- that <laughs> small. Yes, yes, it's that small. So there was a field called Rose Field, and there was a bull, a ferocious bull in Rose Field. Wow. And there was something about... Going in there and sort of being under a hedge and sort of looking out to see if Rose Bull was there. But the time that we went to that field was to collect shamrock when it grew indigenously, when it wasn't something that was cultivated in a greenhouse. And then we had these lovely badges and those lovely badges had a picture of St. Patrick, perhaps each of them was different. And then you would stuff a great big hedgerow of a shamrock into that badge, uh-huh. into the safety pin of the badge. And that was your, you know, that was pride of the day. And it was, of course, a holy day of obligation, and meaning that you were obliged to go to Mass. And now, of course, it's the ba- it's a bank holiday. <laughs> uh-huh. yes. And d- is it still m-
1: very religious uh, holiday in the um, observance in, in Ireland where you're from? I suppose you know?
2: it is and it's not. People b- might go to Mass as they would for Christmas or for Easter, do you know. And I suppose the chance to see your neighbours and see your friends too because it's a public holiday we don't have work or school so you might as well go to mass and then go to the parade afterwards
1: mm-hmm.
4: fair enough <laughs> yeah. fair enough
1: Emer yeah. Maguire from County Louth who's the Fulbright Scholar at Elms College Gerald Costello also teaching the Irish language there at Elms College and we're going to hear more from Rosemary Kane who's playing tonight on Main Street in Northampton at 730 at the Uni- uh, Unitarian Society as well as tomorrow afternoon at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield and before the show's over Not to be so stereotypical, I am half Irish, but only a quarter of me is going to be drinking uh, whiskey for one quarter of the show uh, with Sean Barry from Four Seasons Wine and Liquors coming up before this St. Patrick's Day show is
0: over. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on (laughs) NEPM. So cool!
1: Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Clea Smith. We are celebrating St. Patrick's Day with all sorts of shenanigans in the studio. We've packed as many people into this tiny studio in Springfield as we possibly can. And uh, we're filled with uh, lovely instruments, an acoustic guitar, an upright bass, and a harp, as well as the people behind them and and the lovely voice of uh, what we're about to hear in just a second, Rosemary Kane and Wild Irish Shenanigans is the name of the group. Rosemary Kane, first... um, but before we enter here, this next song, explain where this song comes from.
4: So this song comes from a poem, an Emily Dickinson poem. We had a performance piece that uh, we had performed over the first weekend in December, which I'd been working on for the two and a half years of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I was seized by a story that an Irish maid a relative of your own.
1: I believe so, because <laughs> it's the same last name as my Irish yes. side, Marr.
4: Margaret Marr, a, a humble 14-year-old, uneducated maid who came to America from a little village called Calusty. And she ended up with the Dickinsons, the elite, educated Dickinsons, who were anti-Irish. But she charmed them all, including Emily, and uh, the short story with her intelligence, her personality, her EQ all of the things it takes when you're an undereducated maid to ingratiate yourself with your extremely clever genius emily dickinson <laughs> boss so emily is on i'm fast forwarding here it's you know it was a long play it was a long <laughs> play <laughs> short joke. so she poor emily is on her deathbed and she says to, and she's notoriously reclusive and she does many revisions on her plays on on her poems and so she asks margaret Upon my death, I want you to take the rest of those poems. That trunk that sailed the Atlantic Ocean, that's where I've put the poems. Now, upon my death, I want you to promise me that you'll burn those poems. So Margaret, of course, is grief-stricken and probably nods and says, yes, of course I will. And then Emily dies. Well, of course, after that, she thinks, you know, I come from the land of bards and poets and scholars who are the hierarchy of our culture. We don't have royalty, but we have poets. So I'm not burning those poems. So she didn't. So that's really the story. That's kind of the arc of the story that this humble maid, who actually then stayed on with the Dickinsons for another seven years after Emily died. And she also saved in that trunk was the only image that we have of Emily as a 16-year-old, that famous daguerreotype. So I chose from... 1800 poems, that's a lot of poems. (laughs) But I chose one that I thought was sort of an anthem for the times and clearly was an anthem for her. And it's called In This Divided World. We hope that we will continue to work towards those divisions being eradicated. And it's called I Had No Time to Hate. And our singer is Stephanie Carlson, who plays Emily. And, of course, did I mention that we were going to Ireland? I promised I wouldn't well, rattle well, on this We're going to talk about that All right, right after. Okay, <laughs> <yeah>. All <laughs> right, song first. <laughs>
5: Since some industry must be Had no time to hate, because the grave would hinder me. And life was not so ample I could finish amity. Nor had I time to love, but since some industry must be, the little toil of love don't be for me.
1: <laughs> Rosemary Kane and Wild Irish Shenanigans featuring Stephanie Carlson on the vocals there. Rosemary, would you introduce the rest
4: of your band? So on guitar, my collaborator of many, many decades... Um, Michael rightly says, Rosie writes the songs, and then I teach them back to her. (laughs) It's (laughs) (laughs) it's the truth. (laughs) Michael Morgan. Michael Morgan from Amherst. And Lynn Lovell, who played in our Margaret Marr and the Celtification of Emily Dickinson. That's the title of our show. Because, indeed, Emily was, she came from that position of being anti-Irish to being Celtified. And um, so this is Lynn Lovell, who plays bass and will be playing tomorrow night, not alone double dipping, but she's in the Pioneer Valley Symphony tomorrow night after she plays our two o'clock show, The Talks and Read. Nice. Are you
1: playing the the double bass there as well? I'm getting a nod. Yes. she Doesn't have a microphone right in front of her. (laughs) Excellent.
4: So we're talking
1: with Rosemary Kane about this poem, about this play that she's written about the Irish maid of Emily Dickinson, who largely rescued what we know of Emily Dickinson. Right. I mean, would we know... Nearly as many of the things that we know about her without her?
4: Would we exaggerate? Uh, well, you're Irish. Would so we maybe, ever I say? I know why Irish Oh, die, yeah. She saved the whole 1800 <laughs> poems from the flames. Uh-huh. You know, poetic license is allowed. After all, it's St. Patrick's Day yeah. and we're Irish. Right, there we go. So there it is.
0: But a lot of them because she was only published a couple of times. So like yeah. the bulk of her yes. her work is involved in this for sure.
4: I believe her sister also started to burn letters and poems And somehow there was an intervention, and we'll have to allow poetic license and imagination to leap over scholarship, because it's a story, and we need to be able to tell that story.
0: Or you can just imagine that there were mountains of poetry, and this is the portion that we got (laughs)
5: left.
1: Were you tempted, when using the poems of Emily Dickinson and writing songs to go with them, to do it all to the tune of Gilligan's Island? Because are you familiar with that concept that you can take any one of Emily Dickinson's poems I and set indeed. it to the tune of Gilligan's Island.
4: I wish I had known in time. <laughs> <laughs> A bird came down the walk
1: He did not know I saw He bit an angle worm in halves and ate the fellow raw <laughs> Try it!
5: I with had no time to hate because the grape would rescue me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: See, it's all Gilligan's it's Island. There.
5: There's another
0: one. though. Jill Kaufman. Coff- yeah, Jill Kaufman did a
1: piece about it. With uh, and Andrew Bird did a song using uh, another tune that you can use for all Emily Dickinson poems. But the tune escapes me right now. Yeah, Jill Kaufman. If you're listening, you can text me. Could and we'll, you find we'll, that out? Please, we'll find that. will be a out. sequel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
4: we'll do that for sure. I don't want to have to sweat over yeah. it we next did,
1: time. We did get an email from a listener, Gary Young, saying, "Let's hear it for Rosemary Kane who helped." my wife over 30 years ago get the wedding dress she always dreamed of thanks rosemary i don't know if you even know that reference to that story but i thought i would
4: thank you very very much indeed i hope you're still married
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, well before we get on to the whiskey tasting to round out the saint patrick's day show this piece that you've written is going to ireland
4: right rosemary it is indeed we discovered that emily dickinson is now on the leaving certificate scared i mean we have a lot of irish poets but i was going to try and take it to small theaters and my brother and my cultural liaison in Ireland, a woman called Cora Rice, who was um, also taught, and you might, I mean, she was a very famous teacher in your school, but maybe before your time, I said, ah, you shouldn't be bothered, you know, taking anything Emily Dickinson, because nobody knows. It. They know about soccer in Dundalk. They don't know, <laughs> about, they don't know about Emily Dickinson. Um, why don't you take her to the schools? Because she's on the Leaving Certificate curriculum. And so that really was a much easier kind of shoe-in and and so that's what we're doing and we're booking about five schools throughout the country and we'll be on a bus the whole cast and if you want to come with us i do want to come Yeah, you yeah you
0: go uh, i can't do this can't, show alone we can both go <laughs> <laughs> okay fine so we have a
4: few people who are coming with us and uh, we're going to go the first week probably the first week of october so that gives you plenty of time to save monty okay yeah. i will be thinking yep. about that
1: our we engineer betsy do. would also yeah, like to go our yeah. engineer <laughs> betsy is saying we can yeah. call in to do it and betsy oh, <laughs> who's pushing the buttons wants to come as well but you're taking it to Emer's actual school that you went to, Emer? Yes, we just
2: discovered this. Mm -hmm. Back to, um, so my secondary school, like a high school here, which is in the town of R. D. Great school, there for years and years. Um, My dad went there as well, but it's brilliant. It's great for something. It's mad to think you're going to be talking to the teachers that had me as well. I won't even be there, but Rosie will be there.
1: (laughs) How long does your Fulbright uh, scholarship with Elms last year.
2: Um, so it's about 10 months or so, so one academic year. So I'll be away home kind of May or June. I have to be out of the country by June, so at some point before then. <laughs> well,
1: that's great. That's Emer Maguire, who is a Fulbright scholar at Elms College, teaching the Irish language and from the town that Rosemary Kane originally came from, in the county of Louth. This St. Patrick's Day with Rosemary Kane and wild Irish shenanigans, we'll hear one more song from them. And we will now taste whiskey coming up.
5: No.
1: You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on NEPM.
5: <laughs> Whiskey, you're the devil, you're leading me astray. All the hills and mountains
1: and Welcome back
0: to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith.
1: And I'm Monty Belmonte. We're celebrating St. Patrick's Day with all sorts of shenanigans, getting some language lessons in Irish, hearing some Irish music, and now, not to you know, be too stereotypical, we are going to drink. We, are, we have our wine Thunderdome usually on Fridays, but it didn't seem appropriate to be drinking wine on St. Patrick's Day, so we have decided to drink whiskey in the Whiskey Thunderdome with Sean Barry from Four Seasons Wine and Liquor in Hadley, the owner there, a whiskey aficionado, to be sure. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. and uh, p- listeners of my previous life in radio will recognize Sean Barry as... The uh, Sancho Panza to my Don Quixote in my uh, foolish quest to walk from Springfield. To Greenfield over two days to raise money and awareness for the work. It's not a foolish question. So I know they're really important. So Gilby from the Springfield Food Policy Council says it's an important event, and I couldn't do it without Sean Barry, who uh, helps me navigate the shopping cart that I push those 43 miles every step of the way.
6: I did have a little PTSD walking from the parking
1: lot to here <laughs> because we do we walk we. I now work right where we walk through uh,
6: on the on the walk from Springfield yeah. to Northampton on day one. Sean, how long have you been at Four Seasons? Uh, I have been there since 1992 in one form or another. I started uh, sweeping the floors and sorting cans and bottles. Mm -hmm. And what have you brought for
1: whiskey for us? So all um, to try today, except for Rosemary, who wrote about why she's not having any in the
6: Daily Hampshire Gazette. You can read it in today's paper. uh, I'm super excited because this whiskey just came into the store this morning. I had a whole different lineup ready to go, but Uh this one arrived today. It is from uh, Teeling Distillery in Dublin. It is a single pot still, single cask Irish whiskey, uh, aged in virgin American oak. Tell people who don't know what the, the single <laughs> pot still, all of those single barrels, why that's important. So uh, there are two uh, types of stills used in uh, Irish distilling, the pot still and the column still, or some people still call it the coffee still. Uh-huh. Uh, column still is a continuous run It can run 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, Pot still takes a lot more care. Uh, You have to do it in small batches and you have to clean it. Mm -hmm. It's like brewing beer. Right. You really have to uh, take time and care and it leaves a lot more flavor in the distillate than a column still. Column stills tend to strip out more flavor than a pot still. Okay, well tell me your
1: uh, impressions of this, Kalee Smith.
0: No. So, oh, slancha! <laughs> that is like the only word sláinte. in Irish that
1: I do know. <laughs> yeah. Sláinte. Yeah. Sláinte. Oh, it means cheers. It does. This
6: is cast strength. Yes. 58.5%. Yeah, I can taste that's what yeah. I mostly
0: taste. But like it's it's very clean after that. Like the oak is real like that's got a lot of wood in it. Um but it's it's really nice after that. You get a little bit of green Mm-hmm. Like right after the wood, that's so nice. It's not. It doesn't quite get like the creamy sweet thing that I often associate no. with Irish whiskeys. Correct. But like all of that woodiness, that sort of forestiness, I quite is really nice. But yeah, it, this packs a punch. Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
6: It is a. This is a strong whiskey. Tons of baking spices, mm-hmm. gingerbread. Yeah, mm, it's delicious. Uh, it
1: is delicious. It's a teeling, teeling, teeling. teeling right? Mm-hmm. Whiskey pot still. Um, oh, always. You were saying that there, uh, there is an Irish word for whiskey that is not whiskey.
2: Yes, there is. so Irish is a really, like, poetic language. It's like a story behind every word. So to say whiskey in Irish, it's two words together. Ishka báha.
1: Ishka
0: báha.
2: Yes.
1: The I love one that. One remember.
2: Yeah, we'll remember so this one? Yeah. Ishka means... Yeah,
0: exactly.
2: Ishka báha. You're right. And um, means water and Baha means life so literally it's like the water of life Yeah, there you go lots of
1: languages use water (laughs) of life as a way to describe uh, their Mm favourite liquor and so that makes perfect sense that that would be the Irish way to do it Ishkabaha? That's Ish. Yes. Oh, see, I knew it. I yeah. knew <laughs> that would be the one that I would be able to remember. <laughs> That's,
0: so did I. <laughs> now, I knew
1: that you'd I'm remember not, that one. My Irish accent's coming in now that I've... <laughs> okay, so what... Oh, this is down the hatch, I suppose, because we're going to have... Oh, no, he's got, he's got other cups for us there, Sean Barry, from yes. Four Seasons. The other thing about Irish whiskey versus, say, Scottish whiskey or Scotch is the addition of an E at the end of the word. If you're talking about Scotch, it's W-H-I-S-K-Y... Correct. If you're talking about Irish whiskey, or I believe Canadian whiskey too, or th- does Canadian go go the way of the uh, the Scots? Can- Canada
6: does goes both ways. <laughs> Good <laughs> to, to put it I simply. I like that. Well, frankly, American whiskey does too. Yes, it does. Uh huh. Um, there was a rule of thumb that if the country had a letter E in its name, they put the E in the whiskey. Uh, but that kind of Japan killed that. Okay, <laughs> right. Um, so there is no rhyme or reason. Uh, it, it's generally it's how the marketing people think it'll look on the label. Right, it looks good both ways. So what is
1: this second whiskey we're tasting in the whiskey Thunderdome? this special uh, second Saint one is Clanakilti,
6: and that's from the County Cork. Uh, this one is a little special because it is finished. In Jack's Abbey, Framinghamer, Imperial Coffee Porter Barrel. A oh, wow. local connection. So yes. so a local connection. Not, Not 413, but Massachusetts. But it's in Massa- the Commonwealth Massachusetts. of
1: Massachusetts. Jack's Abbey is a
6: brewery in the eastern part of the state, right? Yes. Yeah. The so nose on this is
0: all cherries.
6: Bourbon barrel first. And then they finish it in the beer barrel. Which is interesting
1: because bourbon has to be from the United States, right? So this is a very, uh, this is almost a repatriation back to the old country type of uh, of whiskey from Ireland. Right. Because
6: bourbon you can only use the barrel once. So uh, there's a large market in Scotland, Ireland for them to ship over their barrels. And they get reused uh, actually multiple times in irish whiskey scottish whiskey uh you're even getting a lot of tequila brands now using more and more bourbon barrels
0: so yeah oh no you, well uh, we only uh, have
1: one minute left so calice what's your favorite of these two this one i also picked this one it's not nearly as strong it's a little bit more elegant i like the cherry thing that you're doing
6: the wood isn't as
1: big and this one is one more time again sean barry from four seasons called
6: clonic uh jack sabby cast finished Love it. Whiskey, yeah. All
1: right. Well, we're going to have Rosemary Kane and the Wild Irish shenanigans play us out. And before we go, we'll tell you that Monday in the Fabulous 413, we're going to have an astronaut. Shelburne
0: Katie's Coleman will join us in studio, along with our resident astronomer, Hampshire College's Salman Hamid. But Katie Coleman is also bringing her flute with her and her friend Chris
1: Devine from the Jethro tall tribute band. <laughs> the minstrels in the galley whom katie coleman will be performing with at the drake well now play us out rosemary kane
5: three